0: city it's your man big pat the voice of your charlotte hornets and you're listening to the all hornets podcast network presented by sports illustrated
1: it's september training camp is fast approaching but before we get into that one more week cover a, a little bit of off-season film um, but make sure ahead of training camp and once we get into preseason, you're subscribed to the all Hornets podcast network on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you are already subscribed and you're listening to this, thank you. We love you dearly, but make sure you rate, and review our podcast. If you haven't already, if you subscribed, because if you subscribed, then you're obviously enjoy what we do. So please give us a rating, give us a review. It really helps the podcast. It helps us grow. Um, Chase. We're almost there. We almost have fresh content. We almost don't have to go kind of to the drawing board to pull up podcast topics. We're, we're almost there. Are you looking forward to the to this training camp getting up and running here?
0: I'm very much looking forward to it. I think this is going to be one of our last uh, scraping the bottom of the barrel podcasts for Which you should still listen time. to, of
1: course. Of course,
0: of course. But I mean, <laughs> we'll have some fresh news coming up in probably like a week and a half or so from the time the listeners are hearing us when training camp yeah. opens. We're recording this on September 8th, so only a month and 10 days until the Hornets season opener on October 18th. So it's going to come up quickly as uh, the rest of the sports world is is picking up a little bit too now that we're getting into the fall.
1: Absolutely. And in terms of what we're going to cover tonight, um, we're going to start off on a little bit of a somber note. Then we're going to touch on NFL returning, quick update on the Miles Bridges situation, Uh, Kemba Walker. Uh, quite update on maybe his situation with Detroit. And then we're going to be looking at, this is the big meat of the episode, Hornets Hall of Fame, which was a, an idea that we had and we wanted to talk about. And we're going to try and talk about some, you know, guiding principles and criteria for a, for a Charlotte Hornets Hall of Fame. We aren't spoilt with success in the history of the franchise, but I think it'll still be an interesting discussion. And then we'll be looking at some, maybe some players who we think would make our Hornets Hall of Fame. So that's what we're going to touch on tonight. But first off, uh, a couple of somber notes. Firstly, uh, Jonathan Charks, a writer and podcaster for The Ringer, was announced that he was moving into hospice this week. For those who don't know, Jonathan Charks was diagnosed with a very rare and serious cancer, which are quite an advanced stage, I think literally months after having his first child. He's someone that both me and Chase have read, listened to a lot over the years, back when he was at Real GM um so we just want to say thoughts to jonathan charks his wife and his son right now um yeah chase any, anything you want to add
0: yeah definitely all of my best wishes to jonathan charks uh his family his friends uh in a time like this so yeah i re- really appreciated all the stuff that he's put out for in the basketball world over the last couple of years i'm sure that that pales in comparison to what his friends and family think of him so hopefully everything is uh Going as well as it can right now yeah. for them.
1: And there is a just giving page set up for charts and his family. So if you, you know, if you're a fan of his work, you remember him, uh, make sure you go donate. I I've done that myself, so make sure you go donate. The the other somber note to start the podcast is the passing away of Her Majesty the Queen, uh, which happened literally hours ago when we were recording this podcast. Um And I know Chase said, I'm going to let you run with this one. Look, first thing I'll say is, I know 9% of the people listening to this probably don't have any interest. I'm being honest, I'm not a monarchist. Like, I could not care less really about the royal family in, in England. But what I will say is, you know, she was 96 years old, 70 years, was in charge of this country. It was 1952. I I, fact, I meant to Google things that happened in like 1952 for this podcast, but I just forgot right now of like things that happened while, you know, when the queen came to power. But as you know, I'm for a lot of people, I'm probably like the only British person they maybe know or listen to. So I just thought I'd share a little bit of a, a little bit of our culture and, and what this means for our country. There's a lot of change going on here, Chase. We're going to have a new, we're going to have a King, King Charles the third, um, that means that we have to change all of our money because it has the queen's head on it. And as a tradition, apparently, I found this out today as well. Um, every time a monarch changes in the UK, the head on the coin or the note faces the other way. So we're going to be changing the way that our money faces. I, I don't know why. Um, Chase just, to switch it up, just to
0: it switch now. it up, I guess. Just I, I mean, I, 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 don't, I respect that anyway. You just kind of.
1: Yeah. Uh, we have to there. change our national anthem. You know, "God Save the Queen." That's wow. Uh, yeah, that's that going to change. Yeah,
0: it doesn't. It doesn't apply anymore.
1: Absolutely. Huh. Um, and until the funeral, there is a day of mourning where essentially, maybe all sporting fixtures in every sport will be cancelled until a funeral, which could be reportedly like eight or nine days. Um, so it, it I. I yeah, it's quite, quite a big thing over here. It's becoming like bigger and bigger. A lot of these things, I mean, for a lot of people, a monarch has never died in the UK, right? I know this isn't basketball talk. So just give me two minutes, folks. A <laughs> monarch has never died since 1952. So no one really knew what happened. And now it's happening and everyone's like, oh, this actually means like quite a lot is changing. Um, I will say that I've seen some less, There just some, you know, let's say I'm not a monarchist. I, I do not really care about the royal family, but I do care about good morals and people being just good people. And I have to say, some of the stuff I have seen in social media from my American brethren, who I enjoy very much engaging with about basketball, has been a little bit in in bad taste about the Queen passing away. Especially I think after the announcement of the minute silence of the NFL game. I think that's what I will admit I was a bit like, why are they why are they doing that? This I, I think I agree it's weird. I agree. You can be like, "Why are we doing that?" But let's remember that someone has just passed away, and you know they have family, etc. So there's not no need to pull anyone's name through mud. I didn't think at this at this stage. Anyway, that's my that's my uh, queen speech over the queen speech. Do you have do you have anything to add about Her Majesty the Queen, Chase?
0: Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't, I literally don't know like you everything that you just said is like new information to me like all the, the I money mean, and the, it is to like the entire thing. british
1: population i will okay. say like no okay. one knew this is this is what happens there'll be more stuff that we learn about in the coming days i imagine you know so yeah i'm not i mean i'm not going to talk about it ever again on this podcast don't worry <laughs> yeah. i'm not like, going to give like, you like, like a two regular <laughs> update of where our monarchy is at trust me but like I had American people message me today, being like, "I'm so sorry the Queen died," and I'm like, "It's okay. I didn't. I didn't know her."
0: Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, you're not broken up about it per se. No,
1: I'm not. But like some, like some older people are. My grandma, she's in tears. Like uh, yeah, my grandma true, is in floods yeah. of tears about this. Yeah. Okay, let's move on from the Queen. Uh, rest in peace, uh, Chase. NFL is returning, We're recording this on the first day of the NFL regular season. Rams, Bills tonight. Are you excited about NFL coming back?
0: Oh, I'm, I'm very excited. NFL, is, I, lo- I like football a lot. I mean, after basketball, it's probably my second favorite sport. But I think my favorite thing about football is that it helps the time go by until the NBA starts. Because it's like you get Thursday, I mean, Saturday, if you're a big college football fan as well, but you get at least Thursday, Sunday, Monday every week so you have something to watch all the all day sunday and thursday monday night so it, it definitely helps the time go by until the nba is here but i i am just generally excited for football to come back as well
1: and for those who don't you're a giants fan how, how are oh, you feeling about the giants this year
0: uh i don't think they're gonna be good I, but they won't be embarrassing which is good that that's, that's a step up they're yeah. they're gonna score some touchdowns i think uh their defense is gonna be really bad but um, I just, I also just want to give a, a preemptive apology to all Panthers fans that have to endure Ben McAdoo this season. The he was a former Giants coach, and he's calling the plays for the Panthers now. I think, anyway, but um, he's at least like an offensive coordinator. But yeah, that's pro- that's that's not going to go well. Like for me to for me to all of the listeners that watch the Panthers, this is not going to go well. Like trust me. <laughs> so. Uh, have fun with, with, with that, and I apologize as well. So, James, are you? I know you obviously didn't grow up watching the NFL, but since you've become more attached to to Charlotte, have, have you're like you're a Panthers fan, obviously. But yeah, are, are you I, looking I, forward to the season?
1: My my fandom of the NFL, like NBA, I you know I I'm still I would still say I'm a fan. Some people say I'm not a fan anymore. I, you know, I uh, people shouldn't say this as a journalist, but I think there is a lane now for you to be a journalist while also Definitely. supporting a team that that exists now more so than it did I think 10-15 years ago um the NFL I'm just like the casualest most casual person there is like I don't really know a great deal what's going on but I, I mean the way I got into it was watching the uh some of like the documentaries on Netflix Last Chance You. um oh
0: that's interesting Under, under
1: the Lights is that oh,
0: uh, uh, Friday Night Lights that show yeah
1: Friday Night Lights um uh, you know watch some other things and I was like, oh, that's quite, quite interesting. We began to pick up some of the rules because I never understood how it worked. It's very complicated for, you know, anyone who's coming to sport for the first time. Um, and and now I really enjoy it. I mean, Jess, really enjoying a Sunday evening here, like end of the weekend for us. That's when all the one o'clock games kick off on a Sunday. We just sit back and, and watch the NFL. So, yeah, I'm I'm a loose Panthers fan. I'm, you know, I'm no, not hardcore at all. But, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the upcoming year. Um, and I do believe, because we're both in fantasy leagues, we are sharing a certain Giants player, which I'm very excited about. Um, I don't know anything about this guy. I literally like listened to a podcast or saw him in a ranking, and that's why I drafted it. But what's his name? When when in fact you say it? I was going to say Wendell Gabriel, but he plays for the Lakers.
0: That's <laughs> yeah. Why. Yeah, that 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 is extreme basketball fan brain when you mix up athletes and <laughs> Wenyan Gabriel is the is the one that that is immediately popping to mind. It but is. uh Wandale Robinson is is who we're yes. referring to. So he he played uh at Kentucky in college, but he's a rookie and he's kind of like a like a gadget receiver, sort of. But I think he's gonna be pretty good. So he's a, he's a popular fantasy sleeper, I think. Um, I'm nodding at gadget receiver
1: because I completely know what you mean by when
0: (laughs) he's he's very very fast but he's very small as well so if you can get him the ball get him the ball in space or like while he's already running in a straight line I think they'll be in good shape but it's it's just about you know getting to that point which is a lot harder for the Mm -hmm. Giants than it is for some other teams
1: Is, is he starting for you or is he on your bench
0: uh, he's He is on my bench. But uh, DJ Moore, uh, Panthers receiver, is, what, is one of my starters. So I think, he, I think he's, he's going to be really good this year, I think.
1: Popular pick among the Not listeners. That he well, hasn't been, I think know, we also said. share um, Justin Jefferson. So we're going to be very invested. We both drafted Justin Jefferson fourth overall in our respective leagues. So we are both on the Justin Jefferson hype train this year. If he has a good year, we will make sure to mention it. And if he doesn't, we will never mention it again. So that's yeah. the way
0: he's, he said that he's going to put up. 2000 yards this year so i mean i i believe him he seems like a trustworthy guy Uh, how can you tell look at somebody and say no you're not going to do that you you can't say that i can't say that for sure so i just got to pick him
1: for sure um and one thing speaking of fantasy we're going to be starting a fantasy league over the all hornets website nsi ahead of the nba season um so make sure you you go check out allhornets.com or SI or Hornets, Google any of those, you'll find a way to the website. We've been keeping it up to date with some new stuff recently. We've got some good stuff in the works about some training camp battles as well. And also we'll have information about our fantasy league over there soon, as well as an excitement, exciting announcement uh coming up in the next, I'd say the next two weeks, I would say, before before training camp really probably gets into full swing. So make sure you head over to allhornets.com, check out our content there. Um, Let's get to a couple of news items. Miles Bridges had his preliminary trial date this week. Um, I believe it was the 6th or the 7th 7th of September. Uh,
0: Yeah, it was the 7th, yeah.
1: It was yesterday. Yeah, 7th of September. Um, The only update we got from Nick Carboni um, was that it has essentially been extended. The, The preliminary trial has been extended until the Friday, the 16th of September. Now, we don't have any reason why it's been extended. It could be that they just didn't get through all the evidence that they needed to get through. It could have been that either the defendant or the prosecutor requested an extension for a particular reason. We don't have any of that information. All we know is it's been extended. The never-ending saga, which probably still has a long way to go, but we still don't have any real clarity on the outcome of That situation with Miles Bridges. So we roll on another week. You never know by maybe the next podcast. We we might have an update depending when we record. So um, wait to hear on Miles Bridges. Teams still have loads of open roster spots, training camp roster spots. I think there's a thing going around by Keith Smith. They have like the most open roster spots from training camp and everything in the entire league. They have to start doing something soon with some of those spots, even if they don't have clarity in the Bridges situation. But I I guess they're trying to wait for that. So that's the Miles Bridges situation. I would ask if you've got any thoughts, but I mean, there's literally nothing to have thoughts about. So
0: Yeah, I was going to say that's pretty much my thoughts. Um, It's just what happened.
1: (laughs) Um, Do you want to give people an update about Kemba Walker, who was in the news a little bit this week?
0: All right. So... James L Edwards uh, is the Pistons beat reporter for the athletic. He said in a mailbag recently that was posted on the website. If you you know go on the athletic, their NBA page, Google's name, you'll be able to find it pretty easily. If you wanted to read through the whole thing and get the full scoop on it. But he said in short that the, he thinks that the buyout is taking so long because he has an educated hunch that Kemba Walker doesn't have a landing spot lined up uh, after he were to be bought out. Uh, and, I mean, it, it makes sense that that would be his educated hunch because why would he, Kemba Walker, give up money to be bought out and then potentially have nowhere to go, like, afterwards to make up for the money that he would be giving up in, uh, in the buyout, like with John Wall and the Rockets or what Russell Westbrook might have to do or something like that. Um, but And if the Hornets were to have interest uh, or, were even, or were, like, very certain to have interest, one has to believe that that would have already happened or would at least be in the works right now. Uh, and as Edwards noted, uh, the Pistons, as Walker, have already like negotiated a figure for the buyout. So it seems like it's kind of just waiting on Kemba Walker and his team having like a certain landing spot for him after this buyout is completed, because obviously the Pistons are willing to do it. They're not in the, the stage as a franchise to where they want to play a veteran uh, small point guard. Um, so I, I feel like it, it might be on the, the Hornets' end is why this is taking so long. And maybe there isn't as much interest as we may have thought or as what there was rumored to be like a month ago or in the middle of the summer at some point.
1: Can I throw out an alternative theory?
0: Yes, of course.
1: Um, I I wonder if the Kemba Walker situation is directly tied to the Hornets and the Bridges situation. And as I, as I mentioned before about... They still have, you know, they've not got anyone reportedly signed to a training camp deal currently. They've got maybe one, maybe two open roster spots, depending on the Bridges situation. Part of me is wondering that there is only one landing spot for him. That is Charlotte. There is nowhere else. That's where he wants to go. And rather than taking the buyout and going to sign to be the third point guard in Minnesota or wherever it might be, He's waiting for this Charlotte situation to become a little cleared up. And at that point, he will then, you know, once they have a clear idea of what they're doing and what direction they're going in, he will sign with the Hornets. That, that, you see, I read the Edwards piece and I just, I, I understand, like it was good insight to see that they've agreed on a fee and everything like that. I just maybe disagreed with his, uh, not disagree, because I, I don't know, but, I, I thought of a an alternative option where he kind of laid it out like there's no other team out there right now. I I do wonder if the Hornets could still be that team.
0: I think they could be too, but I feel like if they, I mean, because they have like the cap space to sign players still, like they have the full mid level exception, they have the biannual exception, which is like four point something million dollars, I think four point two, um, and that would obviously be. More than enough to sign him. If he's going to be giving up, you know, a couple million dollars in a buyout, he'd certainly be willing to take, you know, whatever one, two million dollars that was knocked off of his current contract uh, to just to come to the Hornets and presumably be the backup point guard and have a role that he likely won't have anywhere else, especially if he wants to go to a team that's like really competitive right now. So I I I, definitely, like you said, there's not really anything to be like this. I think this is or isn't happening because we don't we don't really know, but I don't I feel like if they really wanted it to happen, it would have already. But I maybe you're I think you're right that it's I, I know they're, what they're, mean, they're but probably I guess, just beating around the bush still, more so than like being like we're 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 not interested. Like, yeah, and
1: what, what you never know and here is what they might have going on in, in the background in terms of other moves, um, which they might need roster spots for. So do they really want to, I don't know, sign Kemba now and then they find out Bridges is gone forever and they make a big trade, but they now don't have a roster spot to absorb a player. I, I just don't know. It's I know it's a long shot because I don't think after the Donovan Mitchell trade, it doesn't feel like there's going to be a big trade before the season now. That's kind of the last domino to fall. Um but I still wouldn't rule it out personally. I, I still wonder that like if the Hornets were signing other players to training camp deals and doing other things, and this was happening, I would then be like, "Well, yeah, the Hornets are moving on here, and Kemba is still stuck in Detroit." But because they've not moved on anywhere with anything, it just makes me think he could still be could still be in the, uh, in, the in the running here. Okay, um, we're going to start for a quick ad break here from our friends at DraftKings. Then we're gonna go on to our main segment of the Hornets Hall of Fame. So we'll catch you after the break. College football is back. It's time to enjoy the tradition and the fun from the great offers at Trap King Sportsbook. Use promo code TBPN and new customers can bet just $5 on any team and get $200 in free bets instantly. If that's not enough action, you can place the same game parlay for a shot at an even bigger prize. For example, you can bet UNC to beat App State, but maybe you think it'll be a low-scoring game, so you want to look at under three touchdowns. You can go ahead and do that. The possibilities are endless. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now using promo code TBPN, bet $5, and get over $200 in free bets instantly. That's code TBPN. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. You must be 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See draftkingscom sportsbook for terms and resources. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. In Tennessee, call or text Tennessee Redline at 1 800 889 9789. In New York, text Hopney 467369. One per new customer, minimum £5 pound deposit and wager. $200 issued as eight dollars free bets. Join up to sign up to DraftKings now. Great, and we're back. Always good to hear my own voice on an ad read. I always find that really weird when I'm listening back to the podcast and I say, let's go to the break and then hear me again. Um, Hornets Hall of Fame. So I messaged you saying, I've got an idea. We should talk about Hornets Hall of Fame. And we've not really spoken about it since because we wanted to do it on the podcast live rather than kind of like agree something and just tell the listeners this is what we think it should be and this is who should be in it. We wanted to go through that process. So I just want to get your thoughts. When I said to you Hornets Hall of Fame, where did your mind go?
0: Uh, I essentially was just like, who are the... Five, because it's not necessarily like the five best players in terms of like statistical output or whatever Not five either. The the handful, like three to five group-ish players. Because I was thinking we would induct like one Hall of Fame class. You know, we're not going to pick twenty-five players to put in here all at once and start our own whole building here, like the the Hall of Fame in Springfield. But I was kind of just looking at it from the perspective of like which handful of Hornets players were. Impactful on the court, obviously, because that is part of it, but also like transcended basketball and were a part of like this the story of not only like the NBA, but were a really integral part of the story of the Charlotte Hornets. Because I I remember a long time ago, I was listening to the Mixtape podcast and the hosts on that show, which which doesn't even exist anymore, um, were talking about like what their criteria would be for voting into the Hall of Fame. And one of the main ones that one of the hosts brought up was that. They need to be like an integral part of like the story of basketball. If you were to just orally recite the history from start to end or start to present to like an alien or something that was like, explain the NBA to me. So I looked at it being like, what if an alien came down and was like, explain the Charlotte Hornets to me? Like what handful of players can you not go without like telling somebody if you were to just give, like explain the history of the Charlotte Hornets to them. So that's kind of what I was looking for. It's not necessarily like the five guys that average the most points or the five players that are, you know, have have are the highest on all the franchise leaderboards. But which it, all those things certainly help. But there's there's some off-court uh, intrigue and you know the off-court impact that's thrown into this as well for me. What what were your mm. criteria though for the so players here?
1: My head went to a very different place. My head immediately went to right i like i feel there needs to be some minimum requirements of like you know games played uh, or minutes points rebounds assists like i think i think this is a one that i thought straight away is like seasons played in charlotte because yeah so th- that's where my head went straight away was straight to the ranking boards which interestingly you went a very different way you went with the heart you went to kind of like the, the stories of the Hornets whereas I straight away just went to well who will fit the criteria and I, I tried to go through the criteria and I looked at the current Hall of Fame because there's, there's certain benchmarks that essentially if you hit I think it might be like 20,000 points if you had 20,000 points you're like in the Hall of Fame it's it's almost guaranteed and I was mm-hmm. kind of thinking well is there a kind of benchmark we can we can set here for the Hornets um which which we'll we'll get into in a little bit but I mean, firstly, for the NBA Hall of Fame, you need to have been retired for five years, which I just think we should waive that rule. I'm, I'm proposing we waive that rule <laughs> for that. I'm, I'm yeah. suggesting because that wipes out quite a lot of players from the Hornets' history. Um, I'm suggesting that essentially they just need to have, like, moved on from playing in Charlotte anymore. And I yeah. don't know, you know, that, that's what I'm suggesting. And obviously, we're going to talk about Kemba. But it's not a shock to anyone, <laughs> right? We're going to yeah. talk about Kemba. And he might be one where he actually might come back to Charlotte, which could further complicate this. But we're going to treat this as assuming that he, he's not coming back, that he were to, to retire today. So uh, firstly, do you agree with that? That straight away, let's get rid of the five-year thing. Let's just say anyone who has played for the Charlotte Hornets at any point is illegible.
0: Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. My I did not have like a needs-to-be-retired or so-many-seasons-removed uh, yeah. criteria for the players that I mentioned.
1: I think the other thing, and I didn't even mention this to you, so this might throw you a bit off guard. The Hall of Fame is not just for players, Chase. It is also for coaches and for teams and for contributors to the game. So there could be some other interesting names that we could potentially throw out in and around here, which we, which we could get to um, on the coaching side, the contributor side. The team side, probably not. Let's just be honest. There's not quite been like a that that you know a a particularly successful team. Maybe, maybe. Are you that. telling me? Are
0: you telling me? Rich Cho was not um on your Hornets Hall of Fame list.
1: Um, we'll we'll get to him. <laughs>
0: honorable, honorable mention,
1: at least. He was nowhere freaking near Chase. <laughs> no, he was was the opposite of the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Shame.
0: Yeah, oh, yeah, that not, that would. Why not
1: no one ever made that? Maybe that's a, that could be another podcast. Hall of yeah, Shame.
0: That, <laughs> that's that's true.
1: That could be a great podcast. Um, team yeah, team is interesting. I've just had a team pop into my head back from the you know the 90s. That maybe, maybe it could be. So that's that's interesting. So now this is a big one I want to talk to you about players, because I think this straight away <clears throat> is key to going any further. And it's like time with the Hornets, whether you want to do that in games played. Seasons, minutes—I don't know—but I feel like we need to set some sort of line somewhere of a of a minimum requirement. Now, you may not feel that way because, like you said, it's about telling you for you, it's about telling the story to aliens, right? Um, How do you feel about a a minimum number of something or other to measure in Charlotte? Do you think that is important?
0: It's it's definitely important that the players spent or coach or executive spent um like a good amount of time in charlotte or you know at least even if it was like a short a short amount of years they played a lot of minutes or coached uh, a lot of games like regular season and playoff or something like that so i think that's definitely fair i don't know if i had like a concrete like uh like uh what am i uh, like statistical bar that I, players had to reach or anything like that uh like like 400 games played i think was the was what you mentioned in the chat or something like that when we were talking about this but everybody that i picked did spend like a good amount of time in charlotte there's nobody that was only here for like a year or two
1: yeah and that that 400 games played which i threw out 410 games is essentially if you played 82 games for five seasons in a row and the reason I kind of like that is, one, because I looked at the, you know, career leaders for games played and I thought, hmm, that kind of works with where I think maybe the line should be. But also because I think if you're making the Hall of Fame for a team, I feel like you should resign there as a free agent. And uh, if, you, if you're, if you you know, if you're, you know, Al Jefferson, here's the example, right, three-year contract. He made All-NBA, didn't make an all Star he made All-NBA. But Al Jefferson was here for three years and he was in, he was essentially like a bench player for like, most of his third year, yeah, and statistically he was very good in that time. But he was here for three years, and then he left. And I, I do feel like for a small franchise like the Hornets, if you've chosen to stay here either as a restricted free agent or as a, a normal free agent, I think that counts for something.
0: I yeah, I completely agree. I and I not I didn't even really think about it in the terms that we're talking about it now, but. Especially if it's like a a team specific, uh, like Hall of Fame type of thing like this, you have to have some sort of like personal connection to the city and to the organization, which I think plays into where I was coming from with like the telling the story of the franchise and, you know, uh, running through the history of everything. If, If you, you know, wanted to be a part of that, you would be, you know, you wouldn't leave in free agency.
1: Exactly, which I think for a for a team like the Hornets, a small franchise team, is is very important. So, I guess with that idea of minimum of five seasons or four hundred games, depending, you know, uh, are you are you kind of are you happy to leave that in again? Here is like a is it, do you want it to be a strict criteria or a guiding principle? I guess there's a bit more flexibility in that in the latter.
0: Um. Okay, now that I'm looking at my list and the leaderboard for games played i don't know if i'm gonna i don't think all my guys are gonna apply with 400 necessarily but the mm. uh, they played a lot of minutes so it's like it's not nece- it's more of like a the time that they were there they played a lot but i think it's definitely something to go by maybe not exactly 400 but you can't have played like you know 150 games or something like that and then still have the impact on the franchise that somebody like kemba did who played who's like one of the all-time leaders in games played
1: okay so we're probably gonna have a little bit of a disagreement there but that's that's good this is good to have a disagreement I'd, Um, i'd be
0: surprised if the player that i'm referring to when i say that though is isn't on your list though so we'll see
1: we will see uh, okay. Where else, where else do you want to go talking about kind of guiding principles, criteria? Is, is there anything else that factors into here? We've talked a little bit about games played. We've talked about, you know, if they've retired or, or not in this case, we've decided w- where else do you want to go?
0: Um, so, so I think one, one more thing to kind of hi- or highlight my thought process here was since I, I'm more on like the historical side of things rather than, you know, uh, like box score impact uh, in present day. Uh, the NBA accolades weighed a lot for me, like more so than being like, oh, this guy averaged,
1: mm. you know, 12
0: points or, or something like that, or 12 assists or something like that. But so being, because be, those are like the historical reference points that we have. Like I, I was not alive for a lot of these players, or not a lot, but a, a fair amount of these players that we're going to talk about. Like the best seasons of the Charlotte Hornets, I was either not alive or was, literally an infant so those are that's the only reference I really have is to be like oh this guy was an all-star he was all NBA he led the league in scoring he was you know whatever eighth in MVP voting or something like that Now I don't, not that that those all apply but when you're looking back at NBA history I think for people that when you when it was an era that you didn't witness like that's kind of what you have to go by so th- those weighed pretty heavily for me because and, and I think back in the day those were much more not like legitimate, but I think that those awards weren't like argued over as much as they may be now, which really is only happens because of the internet, I think. So I think that that is something that I wanted to, to highlight as well. All all NBA and all-star mean quite a bit, I think.
1: I I would agree with you. It was on my list too. I think again, I, I was thinking like, if, can you be in the hall of fame for a team without making and also our team exactly yeah uh, all That's nba a... all defense i also included yeah. um i didn't include stick of the year i didn't include rookie teams because okay. i don't think they're you know good uh lessons are kind of a value of a player like i, I will Willie
0: Hernan gomez all rookie second team isn't gonna uh, low, no it's hall of fame oh, okay.
1: absolutely not <laughs> um exec of the year again is another one and like coach of the year if you finish in voting like top three top five even if you don't win it i think if you you know those awards are harsh right because there's one person oh, yeah. who wins but yeah. with like the all-star and all nba you've got like first team second team like so I, I almost feel like for the coach and the exec stuff that um that that should should play a factor as well uh, but no i agree with you those uh, historical awards are very important um, a couple of other things just to, to throw out here. I, again, I've pulled out some, I think, maybe minimum points. Like, I, I've got 5,000 points as, a again, a guiding principle for kind of minimum number of points scored by a player, I think, to maybe be um eligible. That might not be popular again with you, but that, that's what I've got down here, 5,000 points. Um, And to give people a sense of scale, because you don't, like, I hadn't looked at the, Franchise leaders right now, uh Kemba Walker is the leader of on twelve thousand and nine, and then the last players across five thousand is David Wesley, and he's down. And there's eight. There's eight players between David Wesley and Kemba who I'm sure we'll talk about some of them. Um. So so there's that you know there's eight, a group of eight we're talking about in in there. Um. Another thing I want to talk about NBA sportsmanship award, which is against my. Numbers, traditional numbers, and it probably wasn't even an award back in the day. But when you're talking about one team, I think someone who is, you know, if you're voted to be like, you know, essentially like the most sportsmanlike person by your peers within the NBA and the entire NBA, if you're voted that, I think that's quite an important thing to show in terms of like your level of commitment to off the court and how much respect you have by other players, and that, that means something to me too. I will say that.
0: I didn't even know that they did a sportsmanship award, so we we'll have to we'll have to discuss, you know, the the results of that one if we if we come across it here. So I because I had no idea that that even existed. Well, so you learn something the, new every yeah. day.
1: The only reason I know is because one of a one of the people we will discuss is on the list and that is that is Kemba Walker who Kemba Walker won it twice 2016-17 and 2017-18 and I'm just looking here uh the only other player to win it two years in a row is Jason Kidd from 2011-12 and 2012-13 to and that is before by your peers um some other winners of that Mike Conley, Kyle Korver, Vince Carter, Drew Holiday, Patty Mills um it seems to be a lot of small guards. How random is that? But <laughs> um, yeah, we Walker won it twice in a row, which uh, again is something I, I think you you recognise and you take into account here. Okay, we've talked about some of our guiding principles, some of the criteria. Should we get into some names?
0: I think so. I think I realistically, we're both gonna. Should we start off with? The guy that's the all-time leader in in points, because I imagine we're yeah, both going to have Let's start him the top and
1: let's work our way down to the tricky right. ones.
0: So the first guy that is going to be elected into the All Hornets Podcast Network Hornets Hall of Fame obviously is going to be Campbell Walker. Who else could you put into this class before him? He is the all-time leader in points that James just said, with twelve thousand and nine points. He was a three-time All-Star with the Charlotte Hornets from uh, the 2016-17 season to the 18-19 season, which he was a starter in the All-Star game that was at Spectrum Center. Uh, he was All-NBA in the 18-19 season as well. Uh, that year, he peaked at 25.6 points per game, 5.6 assists, shot 36% on nine threes a game. Uh, he he was the offensive engine in in his time in Charlotte. Pretty much everything started and ended with how he was playing on a given night uh he spent eight seasons there he's the all-time leader in minutes played uh and tons of advanced stats like uh like vorp and shares and all those other nerdy things uh on top of being the all-time leader in points so there's he's got you know individual franchise statistics nba accolades he was a great player league-wide he was re- respected by you know any away opposing team that he played he they were keying on him the entire game. Uh, I, there, there, there are not many players that have carried uh, a franchise in in the way that Kemba Walker did. Not necessarily like leading them to to victories in the playoffs or you know they were the best team in the league. But there are not not many guys in the 2010s were more important to their to their team and franchise and city than Kemba Walker was. So I think he he's my first vote for sure. I'd imagine he was he was up there for you as
1: well. First ballot. Booking in, you know, yep. there is no one who is not voting Kemba Walker. Like you say, he just leads the Hornets in so many categories. You can't actually read them all off. And was a pillar of the Charlotte community. He loved the city. He he's his parents still live there. Um, he still calls at home. Um, there is there is so much to love about Kemba Walker, and he is beloved by everyone who ever played with him. Everyone who ever worked with him. We talked about the sportsmanship award as well. So Kemba Walker, easy one for us to agree on. Let's straight off the bat, easiest one of the day. I'm going to throw out another one now. I, th- I think this is generally. Do you think it starts to get hard yet? Do you think there's any debate?
0: Um, I think after two is where there's debate. Okay. I think I think the top two are pretty much cemented in for me.
1: So let's see if my number my number two is the same as yours. Gerald Wallace for the Charlotte Bobcats. Okay,
0: so three, three, I would say. Oh, I'll, I'll okay. explain that because he he was, he, now that you bring that, he was locked in for me as well. So three players, okay. but he was not the one that I was referring to when I said two, so.
1: So Gerald Wallace was an all-star in 2010, also all-defensive first team in 2010. He led the league in steals in 2006. Um, he was taken with the 25th pick by the Kings and picked up in an expansion draft. So another kind of rags to riches story. Um, is very high in a lot of key categories. He's third in total rebounds, he's second in steals, just behind Muggsy Bogues. Uh, in points, he's third with 7,400. Which, just to make you clear, how far ha- ahead Kemba Walker is here. Kemba's on 12,000 and he's in first, and Gerald Wallace is literally about uh, five, uh four and four thousand six hundred or so behind. Um, yeah, points per game, he's up there as well. Like, played lockdown defence um, up there in minutes, 36.8 minutes per game. So he played, like, heavy, heavy minutes for Charlotte. Um, he was sixth in games played, played 454 games for the Hornets, which seemed low. I thought it was going to be higher than that, I have to say. Um, so I just think, yeah, fourth in blocks, 531 blocks behind Bayombo, Okafor, and Alonso Morning as a wing that's just like absolutely incredible for him to be anywhere near there playing as a wing he gets forgotten about because he was a bobcat let's just be frank but
0: yep he was
1: if you could take him off those bobcats teams and put him on like any playoff team in his peak he would have been a great player for a playoff team like role player defender energy guy like he he probably had a higher workload than maybe optimum for his nba career but i tell you what he He actually really had some developed some offensive skill to be a a go-to guy for a pretty talented talentless team.
0: Yeah, Gerald Wallace was awesome. He has to be, or being the only Bobcat to make an All-Star or to make an All-Star team has to count for something.
1: That was such a big deal when it happened. It has, and he made the dunk contest too. I I remember it was it was such a big deal when I was watching. It, and, and for a team that everyone had ridiculed, made fun of, it was a real sense of like we're finally getting recognition. We as the franchise, through Gerald Wallace, that that we, you know, the team has been craving for for so long, and it felt like the team had kind of a, arrived back from being that expansion franchise.
0: An all-time great nickname in Crash as well. So
1: yes, that great also point. Helps. That's a great nickname. Yeah. So, Gerald Wallace is my number two. You obviously had a clear one, and I didn't have the next one being a clear and obvious, so I'm going to let you go. All
0: right, so we both had Cambo number one. My number three was Gerald Wallace, perfectly fitting. He was number three in his time in Charlotte. Made those those orange uniforms look great. Uh, But my number two is also number two, Larry Johnson. He... See, this is why this I think a lot of this for me and why he was number two was the is like the off court historical impact of just like how big of a NBA personality he was during his time with the Hornets. But he was also a two time all star, 92, 93 and 94, 95, all NBA, 92, 93, all rookie and rookie of the year in 91, 92. Uh, and in that uh, all NBA season, he played 40 minutes per game. I uh, scored 22.1 points per game, 10 and a half rebounds, 4.3 assists, uh, absurd production. Uh, it, and the grandmama alter ego contributed to being him being one of the more recognizable off court NBA players really of the entire 1990s and early two thousands decade and and time period of the NBA. Like when, when you look back at the players from that time, he is one of the ones that stands out the most. And he, Was a big reason as to what made the Charlotte Hornets like such a cool team and like such a a, like an attractive brand to people that didn't even like basketball. Like, there's a reason those starter jackets were so popular. Larry Johnson was a was a big part of that. I think so. I think he deserves to be in the Hornets Hall of Fame, no doubt. Uh, He also he was graced the first edition of Slam Magazine, which is really cool. Uh, He starred in uh, Space Jam, which that on its own is almost worthy of a Hornets Hall of Fame selection. So. Uh, on-court production off-court impact just generally being extremely cool larry johnson is is number two in the hornets hall of fame for me and i i feel like the Hornet. it's weird that the hornets don't retire people's numbers because i feel like a lot of the players we're going to talk about here like f- probably should have their number retired for the impact that they made on the franchise but the the, the hornets just don't don't seem to do that
1: well kemba walker is gonna get Oh,
0: absolutely! Ab- like yeah, that, that is the <laughs> not that's a coincidence. One. No one's worn fifteen since since he left.
1: Yeah, that's the one that I think has to happen, especially if he ends up coming back, which we touched on earlier yeah. in the podcast. Um, you know, you're you're one hundred percent right. And uh, Larry Johnson didn't play the magical four hundred game number, which is why no. I didn't have him as an as an automatic lock. But you making the case there, you're completely right. There has to be someone from that era. Who has to make it? It would not be right if there wasn't, especially from the most successful era, really. And like you say, Larry Johnson was was a trailblazer. And I will say that for both me and you, the the '90s Hornets is more of a blind spot than it is for probably a lot of our older listeners. Like yeah. I, I think we should be upfront with that, right?
0: Oh yeah, that um, that's what I was saying earlier. I, I I was born in 1997, so I was not not alive for larry johnson's prime like not even close so this is all you know off of what i've read and watched on in clips of the sort so but still i mean i think i think that people that were like around for that really really still appreciate larry johnson because you know as as present or as things have gone on the hornets have become basically less and less popular since he was there so i think he holds a special place in the Fans and hearts. I think
1: this is good. We've got we've got an old Hornet, a Bobcat, and a new Hornet. Like there is a, I feel yeah, we yeah, have we're a. Spread, good we're spreading spread. out
0: the eras here. Every yeah. every decade, basically, nineties, two thousands, twenty tens.
1: Yeah, and look, let's face it. We know who's going to be twenty twenty, don't we? So. Yeah, I'll be. I,
0: can I say something? <laughs> yeah. I legitimately considered putting Lamelo on this list. Like oh, really, no, really, already. legitimately. I did i really because who else made the all-star team in their second season <laughs> who else i don't know i don't think anybody did just Lamelo, but yeah uh, he didn't make it for me but he, he it's it, well i did laugh at myself uh, and have to take a step back for even really thinking about that
1: yeah um okay now it gets tricky right yes now i think we're getting into the the, the names where people are going to be shouting at the podcast
0: yeah definitely um, I have one later that's going to make people so angry and I can't wait. But
1: it's, I, it's oh, I like, wonder if I know which one it is.
0: Yeah, I think I think mm, okay. probably
1: do. I'm going to throw out a name that I think people will be shouting at the podcast, which we need to discuss, which is Muggsy Bogues. Okay. Muggsy Bogues has no All-NBA, no All-Star. He has no career highlights and awards once he made the NBA. But... If you look for the Hornets, he is second in games played, 632. That's more than Kemba. He is second in minutes played. Um, in assists, he is still way ahead of Kemba. First in assists. Um, and then for steals, he's right up there as well. Number one, over 1,000 steals. Next and second place is Gerald Bob's, 827. So you're talking about assists and steals, franchise leader. No one even near him. And then you also got, you know, was, was in Space Jam. Like you say, if you're telling the story of the 90s Hornets, you can't tell it without Muggsy Bogues. Absolutely,
0: Yeah, absolutely For not. someone of
1: his size to be able to just play in the league, never mind being an effective and be a positive player, and to be part of some of those best Charlotte Hornets teams, he's someone we have to look at. But where it falls down is, one, obviously, the defense – and in scoring, he is—he's sixth scoring. You know, he's—he's he's not a slouch by any means, but he is—you know—he is two thousand away from Gerald Wallace. He is seven thousand away from Kemba Walker. He is two and a half thousand away from Larry Johnson. So, how do you feel that case stacks up for Muggsy?
0: I had pretty much the exact same thoughts. It's like you cannot talk about the hornets without talking about Muggsy. you really can't even talk about the nba without talking about Muggsy. but he just doesn't hit the bar that pretty much every other player that we're going to talk about does in terms of being or having accolades or being like regarded uh, by the league and the media and winning awards and stuff like that he just does he just doesn't really have that he's just a lot of it he's a role because player of how, yeah a lot of it is because of how much time he spent with the franchise which like like we've said that of course matters which is why why he's here he was there for so long he was and he was an impactful part of the team just not quite as impactful as pretty much everybody else will talk about at their peak even though that peak may have you know been a shorter time in Charlotte or they spent just less time in general um but but to, to Muggsy's credit he did average a double double twice so he wasn't by a, he was a very good player, so there, it's not like we're talking about a guy that had averaged eight points and four assists here. So, uh, but it, it, it's just, it was a little harder for me to include him on my full list of or my actual list of Hall of Famers. He was in my my honorable mentions section. Now, but Space Jam role, also. So, if we use the the argument for Space Jam for Larry Johnson, we got to use it for Muggsy too.
1: Does his role as an ambassador for the team now further strengthen this case? Because you know, the likes of Larry Johnson, very little involvement, really, with the Hornets. Muggsy is still an ambassador for the team, turns up to events, is, a, again, like a pillar of the community. I, I think that has to count for something, right?
0: Oh, absolutely. That, that was what I had written in my um, my, my description for, in my notepad for when I was, uh, like, kind of brainstorming and putting together my list of criteria for everybody. He spent so much time in the city – not only when he was here, but when he left, like after he retired, he came, came back. He loves Charlotte. He's around all the time. He's more than happy to do positive press about players that are here now. He always talks really glowingly about LaMelo. So, I mean, he's, he's, he's a very important figure in Charlotte history. There, there's no, no glossing over that both as a player and as a, as a, just as a person, as an ambassador for the franchise now.
1: So are you saying in or out?
0: I do, I do have him out, but only, only slightly. I think.
1: See, I, I. He had might be him l- the
0: first or second guy out.
1: I had him out. Well, so, but did you have anyone else who was left in?
0: Oh yeah, I have, I have one more guy that we haven't. Okay, we haven't okay. well, let's about hear that about that, and
1: then we can maybe debate, you know, Muggsy versus your your other guy. So I'll I'll let you go next, and I, th- I think I know where you're gonna go with it.
0: I'd be I'd be surprised because so, this one this one surprised me when I was going through, you know, every everything the like the franchise leaders lists, uh, like looking at players NBA accolades and their stats, uh, and combining what they've done after their their playing career as well. My so I had four guys. It was Kemba, Larry Johnson, Gerald Wallace. My fourth player was Del Curry. So that's what I thought my, you were gonna say. All right, all right. Here we go. So our, we're we're on the same page here. That's that's good to know. Um, but I had him as my fourth member because he was a six man of the year in 93-94. Uh that season he averaged 16 point three points per game, 3.2 rebounds, 2.7 assists, and shot 40% from three, taking 4.6 threes a game in the early 90s. So which that's a lot for the for the early 90s. And one would have to believe that if he came into the league, you know, 15 years later, he'd be gunning and just putting up points and bunches just like his sons are now. So I'm at least I'm glad that, you know, the, the Curry basketball genetics were able to be, you know, spread throughout modern, modern basketball instead of just the nineties era. So that, that was definitely good. But I mean, he is also the all time leader in games played at 701, 10 full seasons in Charlotte. And he's been around the organization since he retired. He calls the games. Now Uh, he's second may in three pointers made to Kemba. He's he's, and then, then the, the thing for me that really put him in over Muggsy was the sixth man of the year. Because he does have league-wide recognition to his name. The he was he was voted for something um, by people that aren't just Charlotte fans. You know, he was he was recognized for that. Um, and I, th- that was what pushed him in over Muggsy for me. But that that those were my four that were in my my Hornets Hall of Fame class.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's just really hard to get in your head that somebody came off the bench can be in your Hall of Fame, right? Oh,
0: definitely, definitely. <laughs> that's,
1: that's why it's just so difficult to view it. But I think you've laid out the case really well there. Um, he is the you know second in points to Kemba, leads the franchise in games played. And again, we talk about off-court contribution, has gone on and now been the uh, color commentator for the Hornets since, I, I can't even tell you when, for, for the longest time, right? And has has stayed very much involved. Um, and I think even, even more so than Mugsy. You know, he's he's a he's still great. Like I know Mugsy is an ambassador, but that's fake. Like he does some events. Dell is like traveling with the team for oh, every yeah. single game. Uh, he, he's he's, still, a, like, he's
0: invested in everything that yeah. goes on with the day-to-day operations, basically.
1: He is still in the grind of the NBA season, and I think that again, yeah, he's that that has to count for something, and he is the you know Mister Hornet, really. Everyone associates Dell with Charlotte. Um, obviously, has a, extremely two famous sons now. Um, yeah, Dell Curry versus Mugsy Bogues. Oh, I mean, that one took me that, a while. That's one it that I think like, was it took the fan me like fifteen minutes. Vote.
0: Oh yeah, that would that would be that'd be really that'd be. We should we should do that after we finish recording this. Just. To see what people think. Because that, that probably... I feel like that would be very close to like a 50-50 or like 60-40 split.
1: Now, if we let them both in, that essentially puts us at five players. Yeah. Which is a nice number in NBA terms.
0: Yeah. I, and I, I think five is fair. I, I could get do, with Do Do we, we need to that. be
1: any more... Me- do we need to be mean here? Do we just open up and we say you know, Dell, Mugsey, you're kind of borderline. Like, you weren't star players. They were never star players. They were sixth-man role players. But for a franchise like the Hornets, with the the limited time in history and also what, you know, the, the franchises had to endure, maybe, maybe it's okay to have non-star players making the team's Hall of Fame. Like, you look at someone like Nick Collinson, For Oklahoma City, yeah, no,
0: I I literally thought of that multiple times making this list. I was (laughs) like, the Hornets retired Nick Collison's number, so you can't be too strict about who we're electing to this Hornets Hall of Fame thing because clearly, like, what players mean to franchises varies just depending on the franchise. So it it, you can you can make up your own criteria to a certain degree because Nick Collison is not making the high majority of franchise Hall of Fames, but he did in Oklahoma City, so.
1: Well, I, I think I think we do it then. I think we we enter both Muggsy and Dell. We don't need to put ourselves through the pain of having to choose. So we have Muggsy, Dell, Kemba, LJ. And it gives us Harold a starting
0: Watts. five, but I mean not a, a position positionless starting five, but a starting five nonetheless. Of. The, basically the five best Hornets players and most impactful players of all time. I, I like that. I think that's a good well, idea.
1: That's the, we have to be careful using the phrase best, don't we? That's the... We, yeah. We definitely they, have yeah, to... That's, yeah, that's true. In, impactful, I think you're right. Yeah. Um. So that's the players. Let's move on to other categories now. This is where it gets interesting. This is where it's hard to do stats. Um, I'm going to throw something out there, Chase. And I think you're going to hate it. Think Michael Jordan should be in the Charlotte Hornets Hall of Fame?
0: I uh, no, no, he should not. <laughs> no, he should not. Be, have, be having lots of money does not mean you get in the Hall of Fame. No, he's he he's
1: been general manager, you know, team president, and he's now what the first black owner in the league. That's you're, definitely you're that's
0: definitely a case. I, that, you're telling I me that, you that isn't
1: a, a, a space in the the best player of all time. Who owns a team and was GM? Like, can you tell the history of the Hornets without talking about Michael Jordan?
0: Oh god, that really stinks <laughs> that I phrased it like that because I don't think you can. Um,
1: <laughs> I've turned it against you. There we go. Yeah,
0: no, that really. I gotta watch my watch my words here now. <laughs> but um, I, 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 he, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't. Yeah, ugh, God, I guess, I guess he does have to be kind of by default. Because I mean, the, the being the first black owner in in NBA history definitely means a lot. Just even even regard, like the Hornets could go zero and eighty two every year, and that would still mean quite a lot. And the, first
1: ex player owner is that is he first for both?
0: Uh, I want yeah, I think so. I think he was actually so, and yeah. I mean he he paved the way for that to you know become a thing. Obviously, LeBron James seems to want to do that at some point. Dwayne Wade is a part owner of the Utah Jazz right now, so. Yeah, I guess. God, I guess. I guess he does have to be in there, despite a lot. <laughs> I mean, of-
1: I, I, I. don't think he's been a, a good. Uh, I don't think he's been a successful owner. I should say good. You know, you can be a good owner. Like the, the stuff the Hornets have done in the community since he's become the owner. Yeah, is, that's is definitely Matt, another part more two. so. Um, in terms of swarm to serve and everything they're doing is, you know, and the social impact, the voting campaign. So when we say good, I think you know people need to remember that. Uh, He's definitely done great things with the franchise. Um, but on the court, he's not been successful as of yet. Um, but I, I just don't know if there's a way that you can make a Hall of Fame without him in it. And no,
0: that, unfortunately that, there's that, not, I don't think.
1: Yeah, that hurts. I agree.
0: Yeah. It, um, it, it, it's not the worst thing, though. It, things have, have, have turned around. So maybe in a few years we won't look look at it in the same way.
1: I'm gonna throw out two of the names, all right, for you to have a think about. Just what Stephanie Ready and Eric Collins.
0: Okay, yeah. those jumps out to you? Both of them. Both of them. I didn't. See, I didn't. Them? I didn't think of it from that perspective. But I'll definitely. Well, uh, I know. I went. I I, Eric. For, Eric for sure, because he's. So, I mean, obviously, he's been here longer, but
1: the NBA Hall of Fame criteria. This is actually legit. Word for word is contributor. A person, why can't I say that word? Contributor. Sorry, let's try again. Uh, A person who cannot be classified in the three previous categories of coach, player, or executive, but who has helped the development of basketball. So uh, development of basketball might be a stretch, but again, they're synonymous with the team and the franchise. And I think there has to be something on the media side. I mean, Dell, we've already talked about. Dell, I also have written down, but he's now made... The hall of fame as a, as a player and you know with his tv work do you think i know eric like stephanie's moved on now but stephanie reddy again was like one of the first women sideline reporters again um like like with a bit of a trailblazer was previously a head coach in the g league and then wasn't with charlotte but her kind of story came with that she's very well respected and has gone, now gone on to work for nba tv and turn television i think stephanie reddy at least deserves a mention if not to make
0: it. Yeah, I think I, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I'm looking at her Wikipedia now. She did have a stint as the first full-time female NBA game analyst. So that, that's definitely along the lines of the Michael Jordan's uh, criteria for being an, or for being in there, for being a team owner. She definitely deserves to make it for that as well, I think. So I would, I would get, and obviously Eric is like, he's probably the, Third most famous person associated with the Charlotte Hornets right now, I would say after LaMelo and MJ. So I you obviously got to put him in there as
1: well. Yeah. Um, another one for our Rick Bennell. Uh long time Charlotte Hornets beat reporter since their inaugural season. Obviously, sadly passed away um over a period of COVID. Um I again, I think Rick Bennell is synonymous with the Charlotte Hornets media space. Um, he was at the heart of every story at every event or game that the, the Hornets succeeded or failed in, in the recent years. And, um, you know, that beat reporter job, it, it's not as glamorous as everyone thinks it might is. It's a lot of life on the road. It's not as highly paid as you might think it'd be. Trust me, we everyone had a look when it was uh, advertised after it passed away. Uh, and he really grinded. So I think Rick Bennell is another person who I actually think he's a lock. And I, I don't think you can argue any team's beat reporter over the last twenty five years has maybe meant more to their team than Rick Bennell because there's not other beat reporters really. in recent times there has been, but um, you know, for a long time there it was Rick and Rick alone.
0: yeah, Rick Rick is definitely a lock. I'm not not many NBA reporters in general from the time that he started covering the nba were still actively covering the nba when he was and much less doing it for the same newspaper the observer mm-hmm. covering the same team consecutively i mean obviously didn't cover them when they weren't in existence but he covered the nba for the observer during that time and then went right back to being the beat reporter for the bobcats when the team came back to in the early 2000s so yeah rick rick is definitely up there. He Synonymous with anything that doesn't have to do with you know players playing on a court. Any any other thing that happened with the Hornets, Rick was was right there.
1: Okay, and the last contributor I'm going to throw out here. Whew, deep breath. Steve Clifford. Steve Clifford is currently tied, actually, ironically, uh, with Alan Bristow for most games coached with 410. He will be going into his seventh year, so he'll obviously become the the uh, the overall leader this season, unless he gets fired before the season starts, which I don't think is possible. But hey, wilder things have happened this Hornets off season. Um, overall, has a win loss percentage of 0.478, which is actually pretty good for if you look at a lot look at the down the rest of the rest of the Hornets coaches. <laughs> he finished fourth in coach of the year voting. In his first year in Charlotte, you know that well, we talked about that being that that top five. Um, he's had Eastern Conference Coach of the Month in April 2014. Um, again, there's not that many coaches who I, that's not as easy to find and compare. But I can't recall as many coaches being made Coach of the Month while while we came to the Charlotte Hornets. So he's definitely, I'd say, probably the leader in the club's clubhouse as for coaching candidates to say, you, you could argue there's the likes of Dave Cowens. He did three seasons, had a win-loss percentage of like basically 60%, 61%, which is much better. But again, you get into that that time, how long you're there for, any three years. I just, I don't know if you can, if you can make it with that. Alan Bristow was five years, winning percentage was, was over 50%. I, I can't even pretend to know as much about those guys. And that's why we talked about it being a blind spot. But on paper, Steve Clifford is going to lead the franchise in games coach, all-time wins by the end of the season and probably the maybe the highest finishing in terms of Coach of the Year voting. I'll be honest, I haven't checked the early 90s period guys and that's something I should have done. So one of them could have could have maybe finished higher and I wouldn't know. Um, what are your thoughts on the case for Steve Clifford or is it one of those that you can't put him in now because this next stint is kind of really going to de- define him
0: um i think this next stint will play pretty heavily into that um my thing with coaches was that it's not like players to where like you can get hurt like if you don't get fired you're going to coach all 82 games that year so it's it's not 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 that it's easier Um, because you still have to, you know, be a good coach and retain your job, which is an incredibly hard thing to do when there are only 30 of them in the entire world. And there are tons of people that want one, want your job every single year, but it's not quite as like, uh, I guess like physically demanding per se, as it would be to play all 82 games for, you know, however many years in a row. And the big thing for me with not only Steve Clifford, but any coach, that uh was on here because i did consider coaches when i was looking at this ahead of time would be playoff success and Mm. i don't i don't think we have to, to explain that to anybody there's not much playoff success in the history of the charlotte hornets the leader in playoff wins is paul silas who he had two stints as a coach of the hornets teams in the late 90s and the bobcats after uh larry brown got fired he was 11 and 12 in the playoffs alan bristow who coached the teams when they really had like a, a chance to advance through the Eastern Conference playoffs more so than they did at any other point. He was five and eight. Uh, Steve Clifford is three and eight in the two times that he brought the Hornets to the playoffs. Dave Cowens is four and eight. Larry Brown, oh and four. So to me, for a, to be a coach that to be like would be worthy of being selected into uh, the Hornets Hall of Fame, you have to have some sort of playoff success because – just having a job is gonna give you a regular a full eighty-two games in a regular season and however many wins come with that. So it's gotta be the ones that really set you apart from other coaches to be like, yeah, he not only can lead a team in the regular season and but he can, you know, lead a team to some some amount of postseason success, which a couple guys were able to do and win a handful of games or a series or two, but Steve Clifford has not uh, been able to do that yet. So We'll we'll have to see how that goes during his next tenure.
1: I think I agree. I think Cliff is the the best candidate, but I don't think he's a Hall of Fame candidate.
0: Yeah, um, I agree.
1: As currently, that that could change depending again how this next stint goes. But I think right now I, I, it wouldn't feel right to put Steve Clifford in um, ahead of ahead of this season. Um, in, in terms of teams, I, I just I, I really want to speak to our listeners to this, and I want them to tell us so. Again, these pre-90s teams, are any of those teams in our listeners' point of view, pre-90s, the 90s teams, I mean, are any of them, should any of them be entered in this Hall of Fame? And I'm going to throw out some candidates here. So you've got um, you've got the 1997 to 98 Hornets who made the Eastern Conference semifinals. So they won uh, the first round and they finished 51 or 31 that year. So that's probably a candidate. You've then got the teams in one and 0-2, who also made the Eastern Conference semis both years when Paul Siles was coaching them. They only meant like 44 and 38 and 46 and 36. You're not as good in the regular season, but actually still got to the conference semifinals. Um, I, I'm just asking the question to our listeners. Should any of those teams make our Hornets Hall of Fame? Um, and if there is one team to make it, which team should it be? So please let us know. Tweet us at Hornets. Um, go to allhornets.com, but yeah, please tag me in chasing tweets, we want to hear what you think in terms of which is the team, if there is one that you think should make a Hall of Fame for the Hornets
0: You got any uh, honorable mention, players or coaches or anything else that uh, we haven't talked about yet, That obviously <laughs> we, we, we've set our boundaries for who's going to be in it, but anybody that even approached your list, I have, I have one that I have to say approached my list just There's because, uh, this no, is no the one, one I, who
1: I really consider to actually ever make it some names of kind of notable people for the Hornets, Matt Carroll, one, you know, two cents with the team is now, you know, what worked on the radio has worked on the TV side is now something to do with player personnel. Um, so it's is very much a Charlotte, a Charlotte NBA person in the community. Um, Marvin Williams, like if he, I'd love, I still, I'm still waiting for him to come back and coach, do some in the front office. Um, he was here for you know a good bit of time, I think six, seven years, and and he was very much looked up to during his time in Charlotte. Biz, it just the on court production never really got there, but in terms of like as a person and what he does off the court, you know, I think he's now vice president of the Players Association and everything that he's done back in the Congo um, to kind of you know he's helped. Building hospitals and getting water to people and, and distributing medicine—like the impact he's made, Cody Zeller just for pure longevity was kind of a guy. That—that
0: that was my one that I wanted to bring up because I thought yeah. it would make people mad. He—he he has to be on. He is sneakily high on a lot of the franchise's all-time leaderboards. He uh, was total he was rebounds. He's yeah. fourth. He, he's fourth all-time in total rebounds. So at fourth all-time yeah. in games played,
1: sixth in blocks. Yeah. Uh, yep. I mean, I, he he's a, he's an honourable mention, and I think that's that's where he should he should kind of stay really. Um, but yeah, I, th- those are kind of some other guys that jumped off the page as we should acknowledge, but but none of them ever really, and they ha- you know they they haven't got the star power of Gerald Kemba, LJ, and they don't have the longevity and like long term stay with the team. Uh, that's yeah. Muggsy and Del All right. Okay. I feel like we we were pretty good about that. We got to uh, we got to our resolution. So just just to recap, we have. I, I, I got players. a couple
0: more that I think we should at least oh. mention. I feel like oh, sorry. These, sorry, I feel like we'll ahead. get yelled at if we don't if we don't bring these two guys up. You go ahead.
1: Yeah. I think this is
0: uh, this is definitely us not being alive for this. But I think Glen Glenn Rice deserves. A relative amount of consideration only three seasons in charlotte obviously mm-hmm. not a lot of time That's but each problem, one of yeah. those seasons he averaged 21 points per game and was an all-star not many players i don't think any player made three all-star teams consecutively while averaging 21 points per game for the charlotte or for the hornets except for kemba so mm. That he, uh, he's not in there, he's but I think he we needed to bring him up because he was really, really good. And he's another guy like Dell that I think would have been much better if he came along 10 or 15 years later because he would have been able to shoot a lot more. And he was super athletic. Uh, and then I think obviously he's not on there either. But Emeka Okafor, he was a rookie of the year, it was kind of the best, probably was the best season of his career when he was a rookie, but he averaged a double double every year. He was with the Bobcats and along with Gerald Wallace, was one of the few kind of like league or players to get some sort of league wide accolade during that era of some pretty dark basketball. So those were, those were the two guys that I thought we at least had to mention, but they weren't, they weren't. Yeah. I think
1: a a Mecca for me goes in the Cody Zeller camp.
0: Yeah, Um, pretty much. And
1: I think Glenn Rice goes in the Al Jefferson camp. Like if he'd been here for six years, he's probably a no brainer, but he was, he was just here for the three. Um, Alonzo Mourning is another guy who people might be shouting at. Like he obviously had some success in Charlotte. But again, it's just for me, it's just longevity. And, and I feel like the, I really the way managed. that he
0: left was was a little bit negative. For, for, from what I've gathered, it was it was not uh a, the most uh, amicable of divorces between him and the Hornets. So
1: yeah, and I think and he played
0: for the Heat, the Heater. That's not really a team that we like. I feel like
1: that is true. So to recap, uh Hall of Fame inductees are in order: Kemba Walker number one, Gerald Wallace number two. Um, I've lost where train of thought already. Who's number three? L.J. Um, Larry Johnson was Larry number three. Del Curry and Moses Bogues number four and five. And that's it for players. We've got starting five, and yep. we know Lamelo is. We're getting there, right? Yep. We, know we we know he's going to be our twenty twenties guy. Then off court. We have Michael Jordan as general manager, team president, owner. We have Rick Bunnell as beat reporter. We have Eric Collins as play by play. Oh my, we've forgotten someone. Steve Martin.
0: That is true.
1: Steve Martin. The, the media set is now called like the. This, no, it's not called the Rick Bunnell Media Center, but Steve Martin is was a. Again, another kind of like an anchor of listening to Hornets games on the radio and then watching on TV and was with the Hornets from day one. And I remember when when uh, Eric took over from Steve Martin, that was a tough day. I we, we might have to. I know it's late, but I think we have to throw Steve Martin in there.
0: You, you're goddamn right. We got to throw Steve Martin in there. You want to know why? He's a fellow a fellow black bear. He's from University of Maine. I'm i I'm an alumni with this dude. He's from he's from up How did in East Millinocket, Bob. He's he's a northern Maine ass. So I I definitely gotta put that guy in there. That's <laughs> all. that's crazy. I didn't even know that. I mean I obviously knew who he was, but I had no idea that I, I he went to the same schools as I did. He's definitely in there. He's in there before everybody else. Number one, first ballot. Steve Are Martin. you just googling
1: now? Other people who went to Maine and have some affiliate for the Hornets to get into this uh, Hall of Fame?
0: Uh, uh, well, Steve—he didn't go to Maine, but Steve Clifford uh, is another one. But I mean, that—that's—that's that's awesome. Good, that, my my guy, Steve Martin. Look at that, Hall, Hornets Hall of Famer, no doubt. I can't believe yeah. we forgot that either. I think there is nothing like, like Steve was, Martin like in the, the,
1: the last five years when he was just because everyone's name wrong. Like he would be talking about a player who wasn't even on the court, wasn't even in the building, and he'd be like, Yeah, and that's um Vladi Divac, and he was like, Nope, that's just another Eastern European guy. <laughs> <laughs> like No, um... that's
0: actually Christoph Porzingis. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um so we got sidetracked there. Uh Michael Jordan, Rick Bennell, Eric Collins, Steve Martin. And then we didn't make a decision, Stephanie. Ready? I. What do we I think? I think
0: we. Yeah, we. We're we think we're right. in. Okay. Yeah.
1: Stephanie, ready? We're putting in. And um, that's it for the for the 2022 Hall of Fame. Well, we'll have to revisit this every. We can't do it every year because probably not enough time has passed. But yeah. Maybe in a maybe in a few years we revisit this and we can you know, uh, induct a certain Mister Ball.
0: Yeah, we'll come back and we'll come back in 20 years and. We'll do our, our updated version one. We're updated rankings. Old, yeah. Old old and gray. And people are definitely still listening to podcasts in 2042.
1: Yeah. Right. I think that does it for us. Anything else to add?
0: I don't think so. I think that was uh that was a good one. I like that was fun.
1: Yeah, that was fun. Let's wrap it up there. Uh, make sure you go to allhornets.com. If you haven't already subscribed to the podcast. And we will catch you soon when we have Real Basketball approaching. So looking forward to it. Catch you soon, Chase.
0: All right. See you later, guys.